two weeks, I envision these talks on leadership, um, on authentic leadership as sort of like leadership fireside chats, you know, where we can really get after not just what it means to be a leader. And I hope over the course of the next two weeks, my prayer has been that um, we wouldn't come out of these two weeks uh, with a list of things to do as leaders. Um, If we as leader, we're, because really what we're talking about, when we talk about authentic leadership, we're talking about people. We're talking about discipleship. I wish discipleship would become a more normative word as opposed to leadership. But just so we get a picture, we say leadership. But discipleship, authentic person, really, really we're learning what it means to be an authentic person. And that's what these next two weeks are about. A lot of this stuff is coming from an author and a pastor, a theologian who I just admire to no end in Dallas Willard. And his stuff, his resources are just vast and plentiful online. And so all you need to do is Google Dallas Willard and authentic leadership and like a quadrillion hits will come up because he's like the man. Dallas Willard is the man. Um, and so we're learning what it means to be authentic people. Now, if any of you are familiar with the Enneagram, you would, you would know just from spending any amount of time with me, I'm always pointing to my heart. I'm a four on the Enneagram. I deal from like this core motivation of, of realness and being motivated by wanting the authentic article. It's really important to me in my journey with Jesus that I grab hold of the real Jesus to experience him. When we talk about authentic leadership or becoming an authentic person, we're talking about um, the experience of transformation in our lives to experience Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we talked about spiritual warfare. And in that talk, um, I, I, I gave reference to a poll by George Barna in the evangelical church. And what George Barna, who's a very well-known pollster uh, within the evangelical community, what he found was that of the 150 to 175 million evangelicals in America today, that 98% of them, when they were filling this out or online filling it out, when they were quiet, when they were just alone with the survey and searching their hearts and searching their thoughts, what those answers came back to Barna found was that 98% of evangelicals would say Christianity makes no difference whatsoever in my life. 2% of the church in America would say Jesus has changed my life. He's renovated my heart. He's reoriented my galaxy. He has rearranged the furnishings on the room. He's swept the house clean and everything and everywhere and everybody I come into contact with, I'm seeing through the lens of Jesus. Less than 2%. That's a scary statistic for the church in America today. And so really over the course of these next two weeks, what we're going to be talking about is what it means to be an authentic person. Now, if we break down that word authentic, it's a buzzword of sorts recently. For a long time, it's been for Sarah and I. We love that word, as I said before, because it's so near and dear to my heart. There I am pointing to my heart again, living from our heart. Jesus talked about our heart quite often. And really, uh, what Jesus 
is driving at through the course of the next two weeks is this question, am I becoming the type of person dot, dot, dot? So am I becoming the type of person, not do I not sin anymore or do I do wonderful things for God, but am I the type of, am I becoming the type of person who does not say get angry? Am I becoming the type of person who does not lust? Am I becoming the type of person who does not idolize money? Not am I keeping the law, am I worrying about what to do and not what to do, but am I becoming the type of person who loves, who loves God? Get into more of that in a minute. But what I wanted to do just to center our hearts again is I wanted to draw our attention to a key verse this morning which I hope will open the eyes of our hearts in Proverbs, in Proverbs 4.23, and we're going to do a little Lectio with it and just dial down. And you don't, it's not even going to be on the screen. You don't have to read any words or anything. All you have to do is sit with God and let him speak to you. I could say a lot of things that could or could not be helpful this morning, um, You could bump into people and they could say things to you that could be helpful. You could get prayer this morning and that could be good. But what we've really come here for this morning, why we've really gathered is around the person of Jesus Christ. And we need him to speak to us. We need him to speak to us. And so this time, we're just going to create a space where he can do that, to speak to each one of us. And so I'm going to read the passage three times. It's a real short passage. The first time I read it through, just be thinking of like what key word, what phrase is God drawing your heart's attention to this morning? The second time I read it through, you want to ask God the question, what do I do with that? How does that implicate my life? What does that mean? Those types of questions. And then the third time I read it through, you want to be asking God, if this is true, and you're drawing my heart to this passage, what difference does it make in my life? What, what do you want me to do about that? All right? So come, Holy Spirit. We invite your presence. We worship you this morning. We've worshiped you in, in song and sat with you at the table. We worshiped you in giving. God, you're on the move, and you're speaking. Will you speak to us? Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. 
above all else. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. In the time we have remaining, Jesus, we just, we call on you to move in our hearts. Transform us. Let us become the type of people who love and love fiercely and deeply. We thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray, God, that you would continue to move. Move in our hearts, move in our lives and our families with our spouse, at our workplace, at the grocery store, at the pool, at fireworks displays. God, come and have your way. We say, not our will, your will be done. Let your kingdom come and your will be done, we pray. Amen. So good just to sit and to dial in and center and let the Lord speak to us. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from us. Now this word authentic, if we were to take a look at the etymology behind the word authentic, we'll find just as people started to use this word in different cultures, they were combining different uh, suffixes, they were combining different ideas. Ideas are powerful, and ideas are really what we're talking about this morning, um, because ideas become actions. And actions, and there's a, there, there's a rub in that, and we'll get to that. There's a real trouble with this morning. There's a real problem with this morning, and we'll get into that here in a minute, no doubt. But when people started to use this word authentic, in, in Greek it would be authentikos, authentikos. And what they were referring to, what the idea they were trying to communicate when they used this word was original, or genuine. Now, when we use the word genuine and authentic, they're nuanced in their meanings. When we say genuine, we, we mean like it, the, the writing on that page was written from Thomas Jefferson or Frederick Douglass. Like that page of printed material is the authentic article. What we really mean is that's a genuine first draft from the author. So there's nuanced meanings between these two words. The word we're after is authentic. This word comes from the etymology of um, auto, autos, meaning self, and hentes, meaning doer or being. So self-being. You see how the word opens up before us? Self-being. We're learning how to be whole people. Whole people. And so this morning, when we talk about authentic leadership or being an authentic person, what we're driving at is who we are becoming as opposed to what we are doing. We're talking about the transformation of our inner lives, not the outward manifestation of our gifts or what we could ever do. We could do all kinds of wonderful things in the name of Jesus. 
And the leadership here at the church, we're planning some of those wonderful things for the future. We have a, a service committee and a social committee and a um, spiritual committee, and we're planning these spaces where people can be transformed and where we can be community together. But let me tell you, if we plan these things out, and we follow through with all of these well-intentioned plans, but the presence of God is not in the middle of it all. We've missed the point completely of what it means to be an authentic person, what it means to be an authentic community of believers, what it means to be transformed. The goal is what God is doing in us, not what God is doing through us. The end all is what God is doing inside of our lives. The writer of Proverbs says, above anything else, first things first, guard your heart. Guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. First things first, this is about our inner lives and who God is shaping all of us to become. Paul says to Timothy, a younger leader, in 1 Timothy 4.16, he says, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You know, I'm so easy to blame other people for the lack of spiritual formation that's going on in my own heart. None of you would be like that, would you? I remember early on just being so frustrated with the people. This was sin. Why isn't the church changing? Why won't they change? Why will, you know, the church is difficult to change. The culture is easy to change. You could change that in a hat. The church, you guys, you guys are difficult. <laughs> and I'd be so frustrated. I'd be pulling my hair out and tying fishing flies in the bit. Why won't they change? Why won't it move? Why won't it move? Blaming people for not changing. Do you know how pathetic that is? When I dialed in and really took a look at where that frustration was coming from, do you know what the Holy Spirit did? He turned it right back around to my heart. Eben, they, they don't change because you're not changing. When you begin to change, when you begin to watch your life closely, you'll begin to see change in other people. You'll begin to see the transformation that you desire, but you first have to see it in yourself. So God is totally after the center, the heart is the center of the will. God is not like this big brain who's like just out there waiting for you to like, like knowing every, yeah, he knows everything. Um, he's omniscient. He's not like out there waiting to like get you when you step out of line. He's not like this big brain. God has like desires and feelings. And it's from that place that he's designed us, that you are spiritual beings 
who happened to wear a body. And the body is not bad, and we could have a whole discussion on that. The body is not bad. In fact, some of these things that I'll talk about here in a minute are to be expressed and manifested through our bodies. And if they're not, those things inside aren't cooking. But God is a a spiritual being just like you are. And he's designed us in such a way that the center, the very center of our will is at this place we call the heart. So if our heart remains unchanged, like the 98% of evangelicals are claiming right now in the church, We are just as the word tells us in the Old Testament. They sing to me, they give burnt offerings, but their hearts are far from me. God is after our hearts. He's not after you to see how many great things you can do for him. He's not pursuing you because of of your righteousness and all of the bad things that you don't do. He's after your heart. He's after transformation. Dallas Willard calls it the renovation of the heart. That's what we're after at our church when we talk about authenticity and following Jesus. The center of the will is the heart. And what Paul is saying to Timothy here, and watch your life and your doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearings. What he's saying is like, he's asking Timothy the question, what is it that determines your choices? Identify that and cultivate it. Pay pay close attention to that. The emphasis is on who Timothy is becoming, who we are becoming. Not so much the things that we do. Because Jesus knows, right? Jesus says, a good tree bears good fruit. Not the other way around. And so if the tree is good, and well, how many gardeners? If the pepper plants are watered, and the lettuce is harvested, and watered, and cared for that that plant will bear good fruit. And that's really what this is about, is bearing good fruit and becoming a whole person, an authentic, a real person. We cultivate. We identify and we cultivate. We watch closely and we put an emphasis on the inner person. So Jesus is all about making the tree Good, And you see that Dallas Willard quote up there as a leader, or let's just substitute as an authentic person. The greatest gift that you can give to other people is who you are becoming in Christ. People follow you for who you are more than what you do. Now this might seem backwards at first glance, and that's why I put it up there. Because so often, especially in the West... And this is, and I believe both can be simultaneously true. So often, it's so much about modeling. But sometimes we mistake expectations for modeling. And all of these expectations or false expectations are what we think, uh, in, in my context, what, what I think a pastor should be doing, ought to be doing, 
You know the list for you, whatever it is for, for, for your context. The emphasis is so much on modeling doing good things. We lose sight of what Jesus really wants, which is a renovation of the inner life, a complete transformation of how we used to view the world and how we come to view it when we get close to Jesus. So both can be true, and I'll be drawing on modeling from Jesus, right? Because he's the model. He's it. We follow him. We're following Jesus. And the things that Jesus does, we want to emulate. We want to walk in those things and do those things. But what Jesus talked about was not so much what he did, but how he he viewed the world and how those things informed what he did. So there's like this epidermal layer of feelings and um, what we do, what we're prone to do in the flesh, what we're prone to do in the spirit, but there's a deeper level and that's what we're after. The deeper level of what is informing the things that we do. What are the core motivations of our hearts and how are those transformed by the life of the Holy Spirit? How are those transformed by the life of Jesus in us? Does it re- Again, we're back at square one. Does it really make a difference to follow Jesus in our lives? That's the question. What, am I becoming the type of person who does not get angry? Am I becoming the type of person who loves others? And that is impossible without the Holy Spirit. That is impossible. The burden is too heavy. Crickets, totally. In the American church, crickets, 98, I hear 98%, 98%. Amen. Okay, so who is the authentic person? Who is the authentic person? Jesus says in Luke 20, 10, 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So much there, and I'll probably do it um, a massive disservice this morning with the time we have remaining, but I'll give it a, I'll try not to like tear it up too much, okay? So he gives us four factors, Jesus does, and he's quoting from the Old Testament. He gives us four factors of what makes an authentic person. These are the insides of an authentic person. The heart, the soul, your strength, and your mind. From these four centers, we should say, come the authentic life of Jesus. And in order to be an authentic person and grow in this and who we're becoming, there's a couple of things that I'd like to close our time talking about. Three, actually. Um, I want to talk about hurry, and I want to talk about capability and joy. Peace, love, joy. So in, in this scripture, what we find Jesus drawing our attention to in becoming an authentic person is that the authentic person is not hurried. The authentic person is not hurried. 
When we find that we're loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind, it's impossible to be in a hurry. Jesus was never in a hurry. Never, ever in a hurry. And he says in John 21 that we're called to follow him. And so if Jesus was never in a hurry... This is what he's asking of folks who claim him as Lord, to not be in a hurry. Notice I didn't say believers shouldn't do this sin or do this sin or do that or do this. I said believers, followers of Jesus, we should never be in a hurry. We should learn what it means to slow down. Jesus was told that one of his best friends in the whole world had died. So close to him. And we expect to hear footsteps. As he runs down the path to the village to go be at the funeral of his best friend. That's what you would do, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you? But Jesus doesn't do that. Do you know Jesus waits two days before making the journey to raise Lazarus from the dead? What? Not in a hurry, just not concerned. Not concerned with that. Waits two days before then going and raising Lazarus from the dead. Check out Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, uh, this is what the Lord says. I lay in Zion a cornerstone, a tried and true stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. Here's the key from the King James. I love it from the King James. He that believeth shall not be in haste. He that believes, she that believes will never act in haste. There's a peace in that. This is what it means to be, this is what it feels like to be an authentic person. I'm not talking about the speed at which you do things, but rather the inner spirit in which you act. It's not about the speed with which we act, but rather the inner spirit in which you act. When you take a survey of your heart, of your life right now, of your inner life, when you really get quiet, which most people are afraid to do, to get quiet for like a half an hour, when you survey your life, when you get really quiet, when your head is on the pillow in the last 20 minutes of your day and it's dark outside and it's silent, would you survey your life and say that, yeah, I think, um, I believe, Jesus, that there's, uh, there's a peace, a non-hurried presence about the way that these last nine hours have gone for me, just that day. I don't, you know, when you take a survey in the quiet, in the stillness of God's presence, 
Is there a non-hurried presence in which you act? And then just be quiet and let God answer that for you. And take note and observe what you hear from God. We're prone to hurry as individuals. We're prone to act from this place of chaos. We're, we're drawn to it. I've got to get this done. I've got to be at this place at 5 p.m. I've got to care for myself. I've got to care for all these other people. And Jesus is saying, chill. Uh, maybe not chill. Like a surfer from like San Diego or something. But hey, hey, relax. Just Relax. Just be at peace. There's no need to hurry. There's no need to rush. Jesus was never, ever, ever in a hurry, but he was an, ur- he, he was an urgent person. There's a the difference between the two. But never, ever in a hurry, he was urgent. And what it really means, what it really feels like to be an authentic people is that we don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to strive. You don't have to. John Mark Comer, he's a pastor and an author, he says this, the solution to an overbusy life is not more time. It's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. You don't need more time in a day. Everybody has the same amount of hours. You don't need more hours, more minutes, more seconds. You say, you don't know my life. I could use another hour. No, that's not the solution. The solution is not more hours in a day. It's to acknowledge the hours that you do have, the present moment. That's all we really have, right? We don't have 9 p.m. tonight. We just have 11.14 a.m. That's what we have. That's what we've been given, 11.14 a.m. And acknowledge that before God and simplify and slow down. It's not addition, it's subtraction. So the authentic person is not hurried. The second uh, key we see here to unlock and what Jesus is saying in Luke 10, 27 is that the authentic person is able to do what they intend to do. Now, lack, uh, the lack of hurry, it's like C number one. The lack of hurry will help you with this. If you're in a hurry, you won't get the things done you need to get done. Isn't that counterintuitive? We feel like if we hurry, we'll be able to accomplish all of the things that we need to do. Lie. I've rarely seen people who are uh, not in a hurry get angry. It's, It's almost impossible to get angry when you're not in a hurry. I mean, what do we do when that guy cuts us off on 480, you know, and gives us the one finger salute? You know, how do we respond to that? That's what all of this is about. When we're not in a hurry, you know, that space in front of me was not mine. I mean, he took that space in front of me and he just cut me off and and we stew about it. We might even give him the one finger salute back. 
Again, none of you would do that. Would ya? Took my space, took my parking spot. Well, that parking spot didn't have my name on it. That space in front of my car, it didn't have my name on it. That wasn't mine. I don't need to get angry right now. Am I becoming the type of person who doesn't get angry? So the authentic person is able to do what they intend to do. And really, I wanted to read Romans 7. You guys are all familiar with Romans 7, yeah? And where Paul talks about in this flurry of self-reflection in verses 15 through 25. I do not, Paul, this is Paul, big A apostle Paul. Ah, love it. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Pause. That's what we're talking about. The authentic person is able to do what they intend to do. Paul says, the weight is too much. I have this desire to do good. But when, it act, when the rubber hits the road, I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, here we go, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself, in mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of God. When we don't hurry... When we allow Jesus, when we just behold Jesus, when we're just after his presence, this is what it feels like to be an authentic person. What Paul is describing here is two different dynamics. There's this dynamic in him, loving Jesus and, and the spirit wanting to, to grow, to like up and to the right, yes? But there's also this pool. There's this this dramatic pool that he's got a proclivity towards sin. What is that? He asks. What is that in my heart? Where, that I'm pulled toward greed or towards lust or towards anger or towards whatever it is for you. What is that inside of me? And what Paul is figuring out here, what Paul is doing is that he's saying this thing is too powerful for me. I cannot do this. If we try to change 
who we're becoming through our own willpower, we will be sadly disappointed every time. We can't, we, this thing is too much for us. It's too powerful. How many of you have tried to change a sin pattern in your life on your own willpower? Any luck? No. And that's what Paul is saying. And the key to being an authentic person when it comes to struggling with sin patterns, difficult relationships, is the life of the Spirit inside of us. Sitting with Jesus and asking Him to come inside and renovate our hearts. To tear down the old drapes of sin and renovate the whole, to sweep the whole house clean. That's why it's important to slow down and not be in a hurry because it's a marathon, not a sprint. Slow down. Jesus is so faithful to heal you of those things in his time, in his way, at his word. Just wait. Don't be in a hurry. The authentic person is not hurried. The authentic person is able to do what they intend to do. Oh, the other, the other thought here is that, um, the other thought here is that it's been said, the old cliche, that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Yes? Oh, the kids are coming in. I got to finish up. Oh my gosh. I'm feeling rushed now. I need to slow down. It's all good. It's been said that, the, that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Well, that doesn't even compare to hurry. If you think idle hands are the devil's workshop, hurry is like the mass-produced factory floor of the devil. If idle hands are the playground of the devil, hurried hands are the amusement park at Cedar Point. Get ready. That's where destruction comes in when we hurry. Lastly, there's pervasive joy with who you are and where you are. So what it feels like to be an authentic person is peace, no hurry, doing what we intend to do, and joy. And this will be felt through your body. Joy will be felt when you're becoming a more authentic person. This joy will be felt in your body. Sometimes I'll come uh, to Sarah, and I don't know what it is. I'll just be like filled with, I'll just be coming out of worship or taking my dog Lucy for a walk in the morning, and I'll come back home, and as I'm walking the dog, I'm just being filled with joy. And it's a feel, and I can't really define it. If I had to define it, it'd be joy, but it's just like, ah, Sarah, that feels like he's changing me. He's like working on me, and it's the best. So there's this pervasive joy with who you are and where you are, and this will be felt in your body. No hurry, peace, and joy. That's how authenticity expresses itself. That's how it should feel. That's how it ought to feel. This thing of transformation. Have you ever met a truly joyful person who was in a hurry? 
I've not. And typically the folks who are frustrated in what they're intending to do are lacking in the joy department. When we simply behold Jesus, check it, Psalm 1611, there's fullness of joy. Where? And doing stuff and getting stuff accomplished in the, no, David says there's fullness of joy in your presence. In your presence, God. There's a joy that's felt that fills our lives. Comer, John Mark Comer again to end. Love, quote, love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life. And all three are incompatible with hurry. This is how the authentic life manifests itself.